Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, guys? Joe McCall, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hashtag Dirt Flipper. How do you like my new logo behind me? Those of you watching me on YouTubes, glad to be here. I, as you know, if you've been listening to my podcasts for the last 12 or 13 years since I've been doing this, is that crazy? I started this podcast before my youngest daughter was born. Anyway, I've been talking a long time about real estate. Uh, mainly houses. But for the last couple, three years, I've been doing a lot of vacant land deals and I've been interviewing a lot of people doing vacant land. I got a great guest today, Ajay Sharma, who is from a company called uh, Learn.Land. We're going to be talking to him about what he's doing. I had Clint Turner, his business partner on my show. Super cool guy. I love these guys, what they're doing. I really encourage you to go check them out, Learn.Land. They do a lot of what I do. They teach land investing it's always good to get different perspectives on land. You know, everybody does it differently. And some people do it better than others. Some people just do it different than others. And some people, you, it's just good to learn from different people what's working today. And we're going to be talking about vacant land a lot today with Ajay. Now, I want to tell you something I got for free that you should go check out right now at simplelandkit.com. It's a kit that I put together. It has like six or seven different things in it to help you get started on your vacant land journey. Direct mail swipe file, the contracts I use with sellers, the scripts I use with sellers, the scripts I use with realtors, a software that I put together that helps you analyze and evaluate vacant land deals, and then tells you what you should maybe offer. You can play with the numbers a little bit, and then you click submit or something like that. And it gives you some contracts that with the cover letter that you can actually send to the sellers if you want. It's all for free at simplelandkit.com, but you better hurry up and go there because Pretty soon, I'm going to be charging like seven bucks for it or something like that, right? Also, after you put in your name and email to get this kit, there'll be a little invitation to watch a webinar where I'm going to teach you how to use everything that's in that kit. All right, so please go check it out, simplelandkit.com. Anything else I can think of here before we bring Ajay on? Let's do it. Let's bring him on to see if I've been having camera problems. So my apologies. Ajay, how are you doing, man? I am living the dream, Joe. How are you, sir? Good. Glad you're here. We met through a mutual friend who is your business partner, Clint Turner. You guys are doing some really cool, amazing things at, you can see the link right there, guys, learn.land. Go check them out. Clint has been uh, teaching and doing this business for a long time. I've learned a lot from him over the years, and I like what he's doing. Gives a lot of really good information away for free on his YouTube channel. So go check that out, learn.land. All right. So Let's talk about your journey here. How long have you been doing land investing, Ajay? Yep, sure thing. Um, so I have been in land for just over three years now. I started in September of 2020. Um, started over with the RU Tipster camp. Uh, good, good friend Seth Williams um, got one of his YouTube videos in my algorithm. Were you, by the way, were you on the show with him? Yep, I uh, I help him co-host some episodes now. That's okay. That's where we met because I oh maybe it was through still through Clint. But I remember, okay, just backstory for everybody else listening. <laughs> we had been talking back in May, had his podcast scheduled, and I had my open heart surgery early June. So like that threw everything in a loop. And I texted Ajay and I said, hey, man, could we just reschedule? He's like, yeah. So now it is fast forward 
almost five or six months. Yeah. Finally doing our podcast. So this is all coming back to me now. I pre <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> it's funny how that stuff plays out. But yeah, no, Seth and I relationship and I get to co-host some of the episodes over there, which is always a blast. And okay, I love what you guys did together. You guys did some really, really good stuff together. And uh, by the way, if you ever want to stop working for Clint, maybe you can work with me and we can do stuff together. <laughs> anyway, no, uh, Seth Williams, I've had him on my um, show for a, a lot also. And uh, good. All right. So you, you start, you got your start with him. Interesting. Yes, sir. Yep. So I went through um, his course and, you know, I'm somebody that uh, I'm a big, like, ready, fire, aim kind of guy. That's the best guys. Yeah. I got three modules in out of sets, like 15 or whatever. You know, Seth's just such a such a detailed, in-depth kind of guy. Dives so deep in the detail. I know. He does, which is awesome, right? Because uh, it's just there for everybody. And so I got three modules in. It was like, great. I know what I need to do. I need to get a mailer out, right? So sure enough, I, I sent out a mailer. And this was 2020 when things were a lot less competitive competitive than they are now. Right. Which, by the way, I remember though still people in 2020 complaining about the competition back then, right? People will always complain about it's too hard to find sellers. It's too hard to find buyers. But anyway. Yeah. I had <laughs> oh, to throw that in. It felt like the gravy days, man. Uh, and and the gravy's still out there. You just have to actually work for it now, which is fine. Um so I'd sent out about 150 yellow postcards. And we all know uh, I think everybody has to do their do their time right with the yellow postcards, um, and so I got 150 of those out. Ended up getting one deal out of it. I bought a little half acre property for three thousand dollars, all in. I think it was about thirty five hundred with some junk removal. Ended up selling it for fifteen thousand bucks just a little bit later, and I was hooked. Wow. The issue with the, that first deal, Joe, is I just had this misconceived notion of kind of like the marketing to deal ratio. I was like, sweet man, I spend seventy bucks on marketing, I make nine thousand dollars. That's about what I had netted. This business is, is great, right? You put a dollar in, you get like 1200 out. I could do this yeah. every day of my life, you know? Now, unfortunately, that's not how it went. But what it did was it slowed me down in my first six or seven months just because I was marketing so infrequently and in such small volume. I kind of cranked it up. And I was like, okay, next mailer, let's do 500 letters. Didn't actually get a deal until I think my third or fourth batch. And then finally um, found a groove in some infill lots in Florida my first year, you know, made... South of six figures, probably around 70, 80,000 bucks, something like that, just kind of messing around. And then later on, stumbled into a deal, which actually came from my first lead. Uh, a, the gentleman also owned another 113 acres. I went and swept the rest of it up because I understood the business well enough to do that. So I was able to raise some money, bought it for 110, sold it for 450, got the deal done, was awesome. Just allowed me to invest in some coaching, which is how I got connected with now a lot of my good friends. But at the time, that's that's where I got plugged in with Clint. You know, I originally hired him as a coach and a mentor, and now we're partnered up, which is cool. And have scaled up the business since. Now I've got a uh, business partner in the land business. His name's Ben. He's my day to day operator. He is phenomenal at what he does. And then we have uh, four staff working for us, and I have an executive assistant. So we got people firing off on all cylinders, and we're we're having a fun time, Joe. Nice. All right. So let's talk. You've been doing land for three or four years now. And you've seen a lot change. I mean, really, a lot has changed in the last three or four years, hasn't it? When I, I, I've been doing real estate, mainly houses since 2006, started doing land. We went to, I went to a Jack Bosch um, workshop, like a boot camp or something, and started you know, learning about land from him. Jack and I go way back. Jack's a great guy too. I'd recommend you all go check him out. Um, he's, he's a really genuine, honest guy. Anyway, um, started getting excited about vacant land and I started just testing different things and taking what I was doing with houses 
and doing them with land in terms of of um, systems and processes. And I, I like to make a list of everything that you do in a deal and ask myself a real simple question. How can I do none of this? How can I get somebody else to do it all for me? Right. So I started developing these things and I started training my sons, my teenagers to do this things. But, but anyway, back then, three or four years ago, I, I remember I was getting five to 5% response rates on some of my letters and my <laughs> postcards, I was getting 3% response rates. Now response oh, rate, the way I measure it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the response rate, the rate, way I measure it is um, anybody who calls my phone number on a postcard. Um, and, and personally for me, I don't like giving them options. I just want to give them a phone number and I don't like giving them websites. I want them to text or call this 24 hour recorded voicemail. So if I was getting 3% response rates back then, sometimes 5% on some of my letters, that was pretty good. And um, now I'm doing about 1%, but still I'm not complaining because the numbers are still the same in terms of deals to offers. And that's the big metric that I like to look at. How many offers do I need to make to get one offer accepted? And it's still the same. It's depending on if I talk to them first or not. If, if, because I'm all usually sending neutral postcards and letters. And I'm, I'm telling you all this because I'd like, I'd appreciate your feedback as well. What, what are you saying? But like, we're still, if I don't talk to them after they get their voicemail and I send them an offer, about one out of every 25 to 30 offers get accepted. If I do talk to them first, it's about one out of 15 off get accepted. And those numbers are the same. The final thing I'll say to this is like, when you still compare, we say it's, it's more competitive now, but compared to what? That's such an important question to answer, right? Because compared to houses, it's still, my response rates are still three, four, five times better on my direct mail than they are for houses. So what, what do you think about all that? Am I, are, you, is, are you seeing kind of the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, so our numbers are a little skewed because we also do some double closings. So that opens up the door to just do slightly more deals um, in the sense that, you know, if I have a 15 grand margin on an $80,000 property, I might still take it down and make 15 grand on it, you know, but obviously that's going to skew my offers to acceptances, right? Um, so we, we get roughly 12% verbally accepted on it, but it's, it's closer to like that one in 12, one in 15 that you're talking about when, um, when it's a flip price. So, um, pretty consistently we're seeing really, really similar stuff in, in that way. That being said, like it's worth noting, my business was hundred percent text messaging up until October when we decided, Oh, let's start getting back to it. Oh, really? Yeah. And you know, we did great. We generated, um, about $700,000 in deal equity just through texting this year. And so it was going to be, you know, we actually two weeks before had added an additional texting VA. So that would have been two full-time texting VAs and, um, upgraded our launch control account to the maximum account. Uh, and then sure enough, you know, it just poop hit the fan to put it nicely. But they've, I, I've heard they fixed it. They've kind of updated it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to refrain from speaking on the topic. My mom always said only share nice things or something to that. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I'll uh, I, refrain. Okay. I feel your pain. But what I'll say is our team decided it was best that we just stopped entirely. And so we've redeployed our texting team to prospect like on market subdivide deals is kind of what we've been focusing on. And we've got a pretty big Rolodex for folks to partner up with and some good money partners and stuff. So that's kind of the business we want to build is doing pretty consistent low seven figure flipping business and then, you know, build in an additional seven figures of profits through um, subdividing properties. And so I think we're, we're well on our track for that in 2024. And I'm excited about the systems we're building up. But I'm sorry, your original question was simply just like what type of responses we're seeing. And I would echo that, yeah, the, the, as long as you're willing to pick up the phone, a lot of the times, like you'll get the deal done more often than not. Uh, we don't do a lot of just sending out the blind offer necessarily, which I think you alluded to. 
I think um, we've been meaning to implement that when we struggle to get folks on the phone, but we've got some really good kind of lead management frameworks that our team uses uh, to get over 90% of the folks that call in back on the phone. So um, we're, we're, I want to brag on my team a little bit. My team is phenomenal at getting sellers back on the phone and driving that all the way through the offer. Yeah. Well, that book right behind your head there. Do you see that book? Who Which moved one? my cheese? Who moved my cheese? Oh, my cheese. It's a great one. I love and and I'm constantly looking at that too because the, the I remember reading that book in, when I was working on my job in 2001 and um, I don't remember why somebody at my corporate job recommended it. But I remember thinking about that, like, if I ever go work for myself, I always need to be cognizant and aware of the cheese moving because the cheese moves and what, you know, everything has a shelf life at the same time, right? Like what used to work a year ago is not going to work the same later from now. And so we constantly need to be looking at where is the market going? What is working? And um, I'm seeing more and more people doing these smaller subdivides or entitlements or something like that, right? So I want to ask you some questions about that for sure, kind of where you're going and where do you see the, the cheese moving in the future? But boy, I got so many questions for you. I, I, want to, I want to ask, you'd mentioned earlier, you, got a, you kind of got started with vacant land doing infill lots. Yep. And then you moved more to recreational land, larger recreational, more rural land, right? Correct. I was kind of the opposite. I, I was doing mainly, I was only targeting like two to four plus acres, maybe in some counties, right? only going after the bigger lots and it was doing great with it. Right. But, um, I, I interviewed a, a friend, Ray Zhang, but I think it's, he, he pronounces it Ray Zhang guy, super nice guy. And just a few years ago, he was like from China, homeless in Florida and, uh, started listening to Tom Kroll's wholesaling Inc. podcast, started wholesaling houses. Now he's doing a bunch of land deals. Anyway, he's just, his like, his philosophy was so much more simple. It was like, I'm just, I don't care what it is. I'm just going to follow the demand. And he would go in and he would see, all right, this is where everybody's buying land, right? And then he would go in and do marketing in those areas. And then he would talk to the people, like, which is something that as land investors, don't you think we've gotten a little lazy over the years and just like, oh, I just want to send blind offers, or I'm just going to send sellers to a voicemail and then send them an offer and then maybe only talk to them until after I get my offer. I was listening to him and he started going after these small little infill lots. And then he would send stupid, ridiculous offers just to get the phone to ring. And then he would get on the phone and talk to them. And with his Chinese accent and all, right? English is his second language. And started killing it doing deals just by talking to people and being honest with them. And uh, so anyway, so I kind of went, I started doing more infill lots and I found those were in easier a lot of ways because there's just more demand, more buyers. So what, 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 what's your philosophy on that? What do you see there? Yeah. So I think it's really important to be mindful of like um, people's personal journeys. And here, here's what I mean by that is I was doing all infill. Uh, I was 100% all in on infill, uh, particularly I was doing Florida infill. And then um, back in the spring of 22, I'm like, what year is this? Spring of 22, our, our good, um, the Fed, right? Which I'm sure you're plenty familiar with, decided to begin hiking interest rates. And I overnight had like thirty to forty thousand dollars of deals just fall apart. I was at a place where I had begin to so. And, and let me take a step back. I began starting to work with national home builders, spec home builders. Everyone got scared. Interest rates went up, and the market just like froze. And I was doing a bunch of these assignments, and they were pretty thin, but they were working, and we were making money. And I know people that still do them and make great money doing it. 
but I'll tell you, Joe, are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? And this has a tie in. It's yes. a personality assessment test. Okay. So I'm a type seven wing eight. A seven is an enthusiast. So I just love fun. I love life. Uh, but I have this wing eight and I can't remember the name of it, but what I can tell you is a wing eight typically really likes control. So when this all ties in, when the Fed hiked interest rates and all these builders got scared, everybody backed out of their contracts. Now I had to be a jack wagon and go back to my sellers and say, I can't do the deal, which I hate doing. Very seldomly do we do that. And so I felt horrible. I lost a bunch of money. I did a bad job of balancing risk. So I wasn't very cash heavy at the time. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in land, and then everything started going stale for a couple of months, depending on what you were doing. I had to take a haircut on a couple of things to keep lights on. And uh, I just got scarred, Joe. And so it actually was so good for me, though, because it changed my fundamental philosophy on investing, where I said, okay, we're going to focus on value instead of just like trying to make a margin, essentially, right? And let's just go back to fundamentals. Let's just buy dirt at 30 to 50 cents on the dollar and you know you have a margin, right? And I said, hey, if the economy goes to poo-poo, right, who is still buying dirt? Well, you got your old boys that are blue collar, that are still going to buy a rural recreational, that'll buy an owner financing. I have enough partners that'll buy a note where I can liquidate my property pretty quickly if I need to, still get a bunch of my cash back. So I just followed the demand in rural recreational. And truthfully, what I liked most about it, there's, there's twofold here, okay? is number one, the control piece. So now I'm not at risk of interest rates just like demolishing the business overnight. Will it affect it? Absolutely. Higher interest rates means you know less, less purchasing power for your end buyer, which ultimately means they can afford to pay a little bit less. But if I buy a property for $60,000 and instead of selling at 150, it sells at 120, I'm still pretty happy. You know what I mean? Versus if I have a property under contract for 25 and I need to get rid of it for 30 to 35 and now these builders can only pay 28. Like that's That sucks, man. I don't want to play that game. And so I just said I was so sick of playing the game where I make $3,000. I'd rather play the game where I make 30 to $80,000 on a deal. And so that's exactly how we engineered the business. And so I went back and said, let's get a fatter margin. Let's, let's grab Grab the right, let's grab the right cheese, right? Yeah. And I said, you know what? I know folks that are scared, honestly, probably want to get out of the cities. If they get laid off, they may even have a good excuse to leave them and go more recreational, more rural. Um, and then I just stayed pretty close to major metros where I know there'd be fairly consistent demand. Now, that means instead of disposing of my lot in 30 to 60 days, like you can super easily with an infill lot, um, it's closer to a three to six month turnaround time, which I'm okay with because now I'm a lot more cash heavy. I don't really use leverage. Um, you know, I, I like to keep nine to 12 months of OPEX in terms of like my payroll and marketing expenses and everything in my cash accounts, yeah. and then separate money for deal funding. And so, um, and then we work with a lot of deal funding partners instead of putting our own money deals depending on it. Uh, so anyways, it just completely changed my philosophy on investing. We still do some infill lots, Joe. So like it, it has to be a smoking deal. Um, and I'll do an assignment every now and then. I'm just not subject to it now, if that makes sense. So like we did so a deal outside of Waco, Texas, where we bought it for $8,500 and I sold it for 43K. That's a great deal, man. Like I'll do that deal every day of my life. You know what I mean? And that was an yeah. infill lot that a spec home builder wanted. But man, if I got stuck holding the bag, I guarantee I could sell that thing at 15 to 20 all day, no matter what, right? Rain or shine. Are you using your own money or using private money to fund these deals? Really depends on the deal. We actually do a lot of double closing. About 40% of our business is we'll find an end buyer and then line up the closings to be on the same day. So obviously we don't really need funding or if we do, it's transactional at that plate. Aside so from that, when we are doing, um, when we are purchasing the, the property, I'd say probably eighty percent of the time we're going to use a private money partner. 
And thankfully, I'm well-networked enough that we have some hard money partners, and then we have some equity partners. On the equity partners, it's very private relationships that just like kind of trust me to do deals that I don't have to check with. And we have a 70-30 split, um, 70 to the operator, 30 to the investor. Um, and then on the private money side, uh, I've got one private money guy that gives us two and 12. Anyone that doesn't know, hard money terms, that's two for origination points, and then 12 on the note with 12-month terms. Um, interest only at the end, basically, which is nice to know, like installments or anything like that. So can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Investor. It's 212. So two points right up front. Yep. And then um, it's 12% interest annually. Correct. But if you only hold the money for three months, you're, you're just paying them three, you're paying, you're only paying three months of interest, right? You're not paying them the full 12 months of interest. It depends which lender I work with. I've got some that want, they, they will set a minimum of you regardless, I want this. And then I've got others that do it annualized. So it just kind of depends on the deal, man. And people's risk appetites change all the time. And you've got to, you know, but there's no rules. You know what I mean? So it just yeah, depends. Yeah. It depends. So let me ask you then, on your deals, are you, in the way I call it, I, I, I wholesale or buy and hold my land deals, right? Um, so like, how does your operation work? Do you do you mainly try to wholesale all your deals? So we um, will wholesale, and you know when I say wholesale, like we get explicit permission from the seller to list on the MLS while before we title to it, right? So we'll either have a marketing and assignment clause in our regular purchase and sale agreement, or depending on the state, we'll go as far as to get an attorney in fact document signed. So that's you know a step above that, but a step below like a power of attorney where you need an ID and a notary and that whole thing. Whereas attorney in fact, you can just kind of get a docu sign and you're good to go in most states. And so, and I'm not an attorney and this is not legal advice. <laughs> We've been doing the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So we do that about 40% of the time. It really just depends on the deal. Like we had a deal in North Florida. We got under contract at 160. We got an attorney, in fact, document signed. We sold it to an end buyer for 230K cash. You know, that's one that I, I thought it was worth 220 to 250. I didn't necessarily want to take it down. And it just gets, you know, some of those deals get a little bit thinner when you start sharing the pie, right? So it just makes sense to wholesale. Alternatively, though, We've got, I'm trying to think of a good deal. We have a deal we just bought that was, we bought it at 150. We cut it up into two um, smaller lots and we have it on the market right now for 280. So that was one that I'm, it, it, we originally had it listed at 300. I thought it was worth 300. It's probably worth closer to 280, 270, somewhere in there. But that's one that we worked with a money partner with. Cause I'm like, ah, I don't want to walk the boat on this deal. <laughs> because you're doing, well, because you're doing bigger deals now, you are, are doing, you, you said double closes. So like, what is your, how many time, How many months do you have to close with the seller? Typically three to six, depending on the seller. Three to six months. Correct. Nice. I I just shoot for three, and you're 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 asking for six. Yeah, we usually. That. It really depends on the deal. So we have um, an in-house deal calculator, and it all depends on pricing. So for us, and I'll kind of reveal the numbers here. It's like uh, if you give me six months. You've got built-in costs, right? I'll build in three percent for a buyer's agent fee, miscellaneous costs, and then title fees. So if it's worth hundred grand, I'm going to go minus all that. We'll call it 96 now. And then I need to make a margin. Our minimum is $15,000. So then I'll subtract another 15,000 off that. And so, you know, 96 minus 15, it'd be $81,000 would be our 180 day purchasing price, basically. Hey, if you give us 180 days, we can market the property. We can get you under contract at 81. I'm pretty confident I'll find a buyer at hundred within six months. I, I can find a full market offer within six months on most properties in a decent area, right? Alternatively, if we're doing 90 days, I want 90% of market value minus costs minus 15K. So if it was 100, my base number would actually be $90,000 minus the 15K minus the buyer agent commission minus the... Because I just think I'm going to need to discount it a little bit to make sure I move it in 90 days, depending on the market. 
If it's an infill lot, you're going to have no problem moving it in 90 days generally because you can always drop the price. We'll go outbound and call spec home builders sometimes. Um, you know, just have a VA hit, hit the phones. We'll skip trace a list and just cold call every single LLC that's bought a lot in the past um, year and see what they have to offer. Um, but with, you know, with a 40 acre tract in East Texas, I can't really go outbound. So I need three to six months if I'm going to wholesale. Otherwise I need a, you know, 50% of market value or less to buy it. All right. So when you're wholesaling it, um, you, you try to double close when you can, right? Correct. So on those deals, are you using your own money or using partners or private investors money? Because that's just a single day transaction, right? Like you need the money just for one day. Yeah. So in Florida, we actually have a title company that'll do a C to A transaction. So we don't need money. And then in, we do, we've done deals in like seven different states. A majority of our business this year is Texas and Florida. In Texas, we don't have a title company that does C to A. If anybody has one, feel free to share. But yeah. <laughs> because of that, we use uh, doubleclose.com a lot of times for transactional funding. They're 1%, super affordable. There, There's some guys in a mastermind I'm in, uh, Collective Genius of actually got a, a yeah. belt that I won at the mastermind from the last one, which is I super. Love, I, I used to be in Collective Genius when it started. Oh, it's a great group. There. Great group. Yeah. I, I, we've gotten a lot of value from it this past year. And I think you know the, the program we're in is specifically for folks that are kind of within like a 30 to 100 deals a year, which is exactly kind of where we were when we joined. And it was, you know, you can do more or you can do better, right? And I was like, well, I don't want to do a thousand transactions a year. So we focus on just doing better deals over time and running a better business and being more controllable. You know, I think one of the cool things about the land business is after you get to a certain place, it becomes really predictable, you know? And I think uh, anybody that believes otherwise just has a limiting belief on it. Cause it's like, man, you send the mail, you make the offer, you buy the deal, you sell the deal in three to six months, like balance your cash position out and you'll make good money in this business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Collective Genius is really good group. I, I Medley and I go way back. So are you keeping any deals and selling them on owner financing? I am not. I'm too young, man. <laughs> I just want to make my money right now. So I'm building up my cash nut. I, I love the idea of owner financing. The returns look great, but like I'm not sitting on enough liquid to be like, ah, I love these 30% annual returns, you know? So for us, it's just, let's just keep building the cash nut, reinvest in the business, reinvest in talent, reinvest in marketing, and, you know, obviously take a decent amount home. But we're, we're not doing any financing. We'll offer under financing on our properties and we'll just sell the note to an end buyer if we do it. Isn't that interesting? We just started doing that a little bit, selling our notes. And it's been like we wholesale maybe 85% of our deals. And then we owner finance 15, 20% of them. But we've got a nice little nut and, and we just started selling these notes. And it's like, dang, why didn't we do this before? Yeah. One of the cool things about land that I like is I'm 49, right? And I uh, just had open heart surgery. And so I think about, you know, how much longer do I have, right? But one of the cool things about this is if I wanted to, and I just wanted to retire and quit, I could easily within a year get... 10 to 20 grand in recurring passive income from vacant land notes. It's not that hard. Just keep the ones that we're wholesaling and sell them on owner financing. Um, it's kind of reassuring and comforting, isn't it? To know that you could pretty quickly get to that kind of cash flow number if you wanted to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's just a function of having a certain skill, right? It's like, hey, man, like I'll learn the subject matter. And when you get to a certain skill level, I'm never going to be afraid again about producing income for me or my future family. You know, it's like, I mean, I have skills. I know how to sell. I know how to negotiate. I know how to call people. I know how to pick up the phone. I'm not afraid to do any of that. I know how to work. I know what moves the needle in a business. So like, I'm going to make money forever. Right. And, and, you know, let's say real estate goes to heck for whatever reason. And maybe there's just literally no buyers. I mean, I think it'll, the business model will always work. People will always buy and sell dirt. Right. Yeah. But 
even in a hypothetical world where they didn't. And I'll go sell life insurance or payment processing and go build a business that way and still go figure out how to make a hundred grand a month. You know, it's like, it's, it's all the same stuff at the end of the day, business principles and practices just don't really change their, their fundamentals that are tried and true in all businesses. That's it. It goes back to who moved my cheese too, because like exactly. those things stay the same sales and marketing, man. And I always say this, we're not in the real estate investing business. We're not in the land business. We're in the marketing business. 100% true. You can understand that. You can, no matter where the cheese is moving, you can, you can make that work. Absolutely. Um, really. That's so cool to hear. All right. Um, talk about the marketing that you guys are finding working today. Yeah. Um, totally. what, do you do, what are you guys doing? Yeah. It's, it's actually a really interesting time for you to be asking me that question, Joe. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> because we were all text message until about a month ago. Um, what I can tell you though is I work with a lot of different clients and you know the stuff we do over at LearnLand. So I have exposure into quite a bit of what's working today. In our business, the moment we got wind of launch control being at risk, we dropped 25,000 postcards because I just, I have a team of four, man. I got to keep them busy. And so, you know, I was like, well, let's just go spend a quick 10 grand and bring in some leads. And it's funny, the mail is barely starting to hit. We already got three contracts and a verbal on a pretty decent, pretty decent deal. The three contracts, pretty small deals. Each one's like 10, 15 grand. The two verbals, one's a 30 grand, one's like a 70 or 80. So it's like, okay. Mail works, right? And that's what I'm trying to get at is anybody that, you know, there's so many sexy, different marketing channels out there, cold calling, PPC, text messaging, ringless voicemail, man, it all works, right? I don't know the legalities of every single one, but what I can tell you is every single marketing channel works. And I've done cold call. Um, we did text message. I've done PPC. I haven't done paper lead yet. So I'm talking to a couple of vendors in that arena, but what I can tell you is... It all works, right? And so I just knew, I, hey, I know how to turn on mail. And um, obviously, it's a little funky during Christmas season, which is why I'm glad I dropped it two or three weeks ago and not right now. But we were able to drop 25,000 postcards. Uh, we're doing a split test right now. So my business partner, Ben, is a awesome dude who has a great smile. And we put this fun, cute picture of him on our postcard next to his dogs. Uh, well, his aunt and uncle's dogs. He doesn't have any dogs, but and basically just said like, "Hey, we want to buy your land," but it has this personal touch, right? And now we're split testing that against kind of the postcard mania, just like we buy land for cash or whatever type postcard, and we're going to see which one brings in both more responses and more deals over a twelve thousand five hundred uh, sample size between I'll the bet two. You a glass of iced tea, the more plain, boring, ugly one works better. You think so? Man, we're getting really good response. So, so far, Ben's is winning, believe it or not. Are you serious? 100%, man. We're about four times more successful on the one with his face on it. No way. I mean, it's early, Joe. So we've only gotten about probably 10 to 15% of the leads that I would expect from our postcard. So I'll still give you a glass of iced tea if, if you win. <laughs> sweet or sweet? Whatever you want. All right. I have a, a student who was, um, I forget her name. Let's just say her name is Mary. And she was doing a lot of direct mail and she... Uh, she was getting frustrated with the results. She changed it. To, she was doing houses at the time and she changed it to Mary buys houses. She got an LLC, Mary buys houses. And she, she included a picture in her postcard of her shaking somebody else's hand. And they knew it was Mary. And she signed the letter of the postcard, whatever. Give me a call. Thanks, Mary. And I don't remember the numbers, but it like radically increased her response rates wow. because it was a lady and made people feel more comfortable. I thought that was fascinating. Um, so on... Oh, on your direct mail, are you sending people to a phone number, a voicemail, a website, a QR code? What are you doing there? Uh, we do a little bit of everything. We used to have a QR code and then we just haven't implemented it yet on the postcard. So we've, man, I'm a big fan of just giving them all the options. Like in marketing, I want to meet the seller where they are, right? And so they can do everything except for text, which I wish they could, but we're using Pat Live. So uh, they, they can call in the number, they can email 
And then they have our website. I think those are the most immediate ones. And now what we do that's different than I think a majority of land businesses is we're big on like the booked appointment train. So if somebody calls our Pat Live number, we're going to try to get them to schedule an appointment with our lead manager, who's then going to get them to schedule an appointment with our acquisitions manager. So we're, we're kind of a two-step process. Number one is kind of the diagnostic phone call of, you know, how long have you owned the property? Are you the only seller? Back taxes, probate, road frontage, all that kind of stuff, right? And then if we can get them to volunteer and asking price, awesome. Uh, we do about 70% of the time, which is really, really good, I think. And then in the second kind of call, that's when we make our offer. And so for us, we are getting a lot of success out of booking those appointments because we just get a lot more people that show up. And then we've got a rock solid lead management process, man. Like we double and triple dial our sellers for a very long time, very frequently early on. And I'm happy to break some of that out here, but we we talk to over 90% of our sellers very consistently. Wow. Good for you. So that's more like follow-up, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Very aggressive follow-up. <laughs> nice. Have you, have you noticed which works better on your postcards? Well, by the way, are you sending like a neutral letter postcard? It's just, hey, if you want to sell your lot, call us. Exactly. Um, we've been testing a range postcard. And there's this guy, Rick Ginn. He's got a, a YouTube channel called Flip with Rick. And he has a thing called, it's called ROS postcard. I, I forget why. But he, he was doing this for houses and he would send a postcard saying, hey, do you want to sell your house at 123 Main Street? We'll pay you $35,000 for it, phone number. And uh, would get a lot of calls from it, a lot of angry calls. But the few calls that he would get that were good were really, really good leads. So we've been testing range postcards. So basically, I'm just using the priced number that they say it's worth and we're doing maybe 40 to 50% of that number. And we say, hey, we may be able to buy your property at this range. I don't, we're not getting a bigger response rate, but the calls that we are getting are a lot better because we're in the ballpark already. And I thought it was fascinating. With those, we just send them all to voicemail, either text or call or 24-hour recorded voicemail and the phone number. And then we, we call them back and we talk to them. 85, 90% of the time, that range is way too high. But we, we're, we're getting them on the phone, we're talking to them, and we're asking them questions about the property and, and saying, well, you know what? Sorry, we're not going to be able to offer that. What, what's the least you could take? Is your price negotiable at all? Um, we can recommend a bunch of realtors to you that can help you sell the property if you want. But if you want full retail, we're not you guys. Anyway, we're getting about one out of 13 offers that we send to those sellers. And we make an offer to every seller we talk to. Right. Even if they're mad at us, we still send it in the mail. That's what we do. Um, but one out of 13 offers getting accepted on those. So anyway, interesting. The... Uh, can I ask you some of the questions about some of the tools you guys are using? Sure thing, man. Yeah, I'm an open book. Where do you like getting your lists from? Yeah, so we're using LandVision. It's a Lightbox product that a lot of big builders use. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but we basically get Never the- Never heard of it. We pay for a license at the beginning of the year. Um, well, our, our fiscal year was last month, I think, because I just paid four grand for it or something. And we basically get unlimited data polls for an entire year. So- for us, when we were texting, we were pulling about 60,000 records a month, and it just wasn't economical to use a data tree. And I don't love like Property Radar or PropStream or any of those that are like a penny record, you know? And so I decided to go with uh, LandVision. It's got some scouting tools that we really like, but it allows us to pull unlimited data. And I'm a big kind of, again, I'm a ready, fire, aim guy. So we're, we're looking at January, and I'm like, ah, yeah, we'll probably drop another like 40,000 postcards just to test, you know? And well, I just want to keep my team busy because I know they can handle it, right? Because we were used to the volume from text message marketing. And so now we can pump in the same volume, but man, it's, it's a much higher quality lead that comes from direct mail, right? Because you think about the seller psychology. If I cold call or cold text message with the seller, I've interrupted their day, right? I have gotten in the middle of what they were doing, interrupted their train of thought to now say, hey, would you consider selling your land? 
Whereas like a ringless voicemail or direct mail is much more on the flip side where the onus is on the seller to engage with us all of a sudden. Right. And so you just, they go through like a self qualification process. They're just slightly more motivated through either one of those marketing channels versus the first two that I mentioned. And so because of that, the leads coming in are just phenomenal. And it's great. My acquisitions manager, we had a team call today. She was literally just saying, man, everyone's just nicer from direct mail than they are via texting. Like, I really like these leads, you know? And uh, we're just, we're just getting a lot of good deal volume out of it. But what I would say is, you know, just really, guys, if you're listening to this and you're wondering kind of how you want to build your business up, ask yourself this question, like, what type of business do I want to run? You know, because like, Joe, you talk about your business where, you know, you're able to take voicemails and just send out ranged postcards. And I'm like, great, man, you have very qualified leads hitting your phone. If you do blind offers or ranged offers, people self-qualify because they're either going to tell you F you which, you know, okay, fine, we're probably not going to do a deal. I might still mail you an offer, but we're probably not going to do a deal. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Or they're going to say, hey, we're just like a little off. And now all of a sudden, you know, you might be able to negotiate into a deal, right? And so not to mention all the folks that are tire kickers or want too much money, they won't call you, which is great because they are tire kickers or want too much money, right? So you're building yourself a business where you can kind of do kind of a lifestyle business, right? I don't need to have a big team. I don't need to have a lot of overhead. But I can turn it on and I can have as many deals as I want because you're a smart guy and you know how to run that, right? On the flip side, I'm a nut. So I decided let's scale up a team and let's do a ton of marketing. And I'm just such a big fan of neutral, man. Like we had a deal. Yeah. Um, the, the thing about neutral marketing, uh, you have the ability to buy stuff still at a, at a steep discount because you let the seller volunteer the price first, right? And so like we just bought a deal in McLennan County, Texas. It's a commercial lot that we bought for $25,000 because the seller said that's what they wanted. We just listed it at $99,000 <laughs> and we're getting calls on it. You know, and we actually might have gotten a verbal unconfirmed, but our agent said we might or might not have an offer coming. I, I don't know. I think it's all hoopla until I see it in writing. You know what I mean? But, uh, the point being, we're in the ballpark. And if we had just sent out a blind offer and I knew the value of this property, I would have sent it at forty to $50,000, right? Oh so, my gosh. We, we just, I'm coaching this student who's a missionary from South Asia somewhere. And I'm documenting this in, in YouTube videos and podcasts. And we send a um, <clears throat> neutral letter, his first batch of mail. He gets his property in the hills of some state, I won't say where. This guy, this property's worth about 400 grand. He wow. owes about, if it's, if, and there's a house on it. We found that by accident. But anyway, fixed up, worth about 400, right? But he owes about 40 grand in back taxes. There's a vacant lot and a house, with another lot with a house on it. He owns both. Anyway, so far, I mean, I'm just like, I'm still, I don't know if this is real. The guy just, he says, listen, if you can take care of my back taxes, give me six grand in my pocket, I'll be happy. So we'll be all in for maybe 65, 70 grand. And this house and vacant lot is worth about 400 grand. That's awesome. All fixed up. Now it's going to need a lot of work. I think we could wholesale that just thing pretty, but here's the point. I brought that up. If we would have sent a blind offer, there's no way. We would have right. offered way too much. Exactly. For this thing, exactly. right? I love that you're doing that because you just get them on the phone, talk to them. It's, it's a sales business. It is. We were talking about direct mail. And um, I'm thinking about doing this and I wanted to know your opinion, what you thought of it. Um, I've got this, you see my screen there? Yes, sir. All right. So the, have you ever heard of the third notice postcard? Um, I have in the house world. I'm thinking about trying it in the land world. Okay. And uh, these are about as obnoxious as they get. All right. So I'll open it up here. Third notice. How much longer before I hear from you? I've done all I can to get a hold of you. And this is my last resort. Please turn this card over. It's important that I hear from you ASAP. 
And here's the other side of the card. I just went to Google and did a search for this. Sure. Third notice, I've been trying to reach you regarding address. I'm hoping this card catches you in time. I've tried for hours to find your phone number using the internet, but I was unable to. I've recorded a brief message about your property so that you could at least hear me out and then decide if we should speak over the phone. All you have to do is call phone number to listen to my recorded message about this matter. Call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to listen to my message. No one will answer. I would appreciate you keeping this matter private. <laughs> All right. So well, I used to do this for houses and it would we'd get about a double or triple the response rate um, that we normally would on a postcard. The problem is it makes a lot of people mad. Oh, absolutely. And then it started, you, you could see um, if you go to, uh, let me just, I was doing an image search on Google there. If you go to all, Action 9 uncovers company behind mystery postcard. <laughs> so a lot of these local news companies, start, this is in November 2017, started doing like these exposés on these evil w investors that were sending these postcards and scaring homeowners into calling. Now the voicemail was like, was, was never any, it was never tricky. It was always the voicemail was, um, I'm trying to get back to where I was. The voicemail was like, hey, if you've got a house you want to sell, we'd like to make you an offer and buy it. Please, like here's another one from Chester County. Sleazy, alarming, scamming postcard for the circular file. <laughs> another local news. Mystery buyer claims he wants to buy your home for less. Montgomery County officials warn property owners about. Wow. Mortgage postcard scam. Um, and then NPR. Oh my gosh. Even NPR did a story. Hey, I want to buy your house. Homeowners besieged by unsolicited offers. Now you're not doing anything illegal, right? By sending a postcard that says, Hey, just call our voicemail. Right. And there's a picture of, oh my gosh. Yeah, and that cracks there's me a up. picture of the postcard right there. Right. Anyway, back to this. There's nothing illegal about that, but I thought about maybe I should just like try it for vacant land and see what happens. Yeah. I'm sure you get a great response rate. Just but, be ready to filter through all these <laughs> angry folks, man. I'd come back to the question, what type of business you want to build? You know what I mean? And yeah, if I, it gets the phone ringing though, and you got folks to filter, like if you had a, a VA that was kind of lead managing, um, fine. But if it's just well, you, like, oh man, you're... Well, just send them to voicemail, right? Send them to a voicemail. And the voicemail could be just 35, 40, 50 seconds, six, a minute. Just says, hey, thanks for calling. We buy vacant land, and you must have gotten our postcard about a lot that you want to sell in Harrison County. If you'd like us to send you an offer, leave your name and number and the reference ID on that postcard, and we will send you an offer in, a, in, in one or two days. Thanks a lot. You know, it could be as simple as that. Yeah. Somebody listening to this and watching this, you, 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 you go ahead and try it. And let me know how it goes. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I, I can't say I'll test that one for you, Joe. <laughs> I feel, I'd feel too bad doing that to my team. <laughs> we'll see. I know the guy who wrote that postcard and I won't tell you who it is, but, um, he just, he's, he's a big, um, copywriter, loves copywriting. And he wrote that postcard because he just wanted to do something that he knew would get more calls. It's a whole curiosity thing, right? Yeah. So maybe there's another way you could get, raise that curiosity. Yeah. All right. So you get your list from Land Vision. That's interesting. I'm going to go check them out. So it's like one time annual, as many as you want then after that. Yeah. I think you have a limit of 20,000 a day, but I don't know too many land investors that need to pull more than that in one day. All right. Let's talk about uh, CRMs. What do you guys like to use for CRMs? Yep. The CRM called Pebble. Probably heard of it once or twice. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've been using Pebble since the beginning. Um, and now we're locked in. And I'm actually pretty good friends with Jesse and Kevin now. Uh, we were all in Korea together uh, back in April and had some had some good laughs, had some good memories. But these guys are awesome at just hearing feedback, you know, and they're, they're a lean, mean fight machine. So 
good good things to say about that. Well, I want to check it out again. I, I I'm a big FreedomSoft user because okay. at the time. FreedomSoft was built for houses, but I kind of customized it for land. And I got a special coach's account with Rob Swanson, the owner, that lets me customize it for land. Say Ron Swanson. And they, Rob Swanson. <laughs> Rob. <laughs> I don't know if you ever watched Parks and Recreation, but you no. know Ron Swanson. Oh, okay. He's one of the characters in there. I'm like, you're kidding. His name is Ron Swanson. I'm sorry, Joe. Well, the cool th- now, now uh, FreedomSoft does direct mail. So they have their own direct mail engine in it now. But at the time, the reason why I loved it is because it had all the communications in one place. So phone, texting, email, all that would happen in one place. Yep. Now, a few months ago, Jesse added that into uh, Pebble, right? So I wanted to ask somebody, how does it work? Is it working? We actually don't use that feature, man. So I- <laughs> oh, you <laughs> don't? No, unfortunately, we we still use Open Phone as our phone management system, uh, and they're pretty integrated. Like I'm sure we could kind of message out of it, but um, man, my team's a creature of habits, so we've just stayed in phone for a while. I'm sorry, I wish I wish I had the juice for you, um, but it it looks great. Uh, the UI is super friendly. I always compare Pebble to Apple. I think it's like the Apple of land investing CRMs. Super clean, really pretty UI, so easy to use, and. It's it's maybe a little bit less customizable than like a Podio or an Airtable, for example, but it it has everything that a land investor needs, I think. So are you doing your direct mail with Pebble as well? You know, we've only sent out one batch this year. It's just that first batch because we were all text message. Uh, what I can tell you is we did send out our batch through Pebble. What I don't know is when we start cranking up volume, if it makes more sense to just go direct to vendor, you know, and get a bulk discount because... You know, you knock off ten cents a postcard on a hundred thousand units in the first couple of months. That's that's money, right? Yeah. I like keeping money in my pocket if I can, but I'm also a big fan of reducing friction when implementing new process. <laughs> nice, cool. Uh, what are some other tools that you use in your business that you're into right now? Yeah, man, I'm super. Right or land yeah, ID? we we use MapRite. I hate when people call it Land ID, but I know that's the name I know, now. I hate it too. It's frustrating for anybody that's been in the biz, I think, longer than like a year and a half. I feel like other folks had no problem moving over. And even my staff is is like, yeah, you know, Land ID. I'm like, I will fire you. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> Never threaten that. Uh, but it's, uh, sorry. So yeah, we use MapRite for all our due diligence. That's where we're looking at, you know, streets, topography, slope, contour lines, floodplain, wetland, all that kind of stuff. We attach screenshots and everything. As we're as we're moving along, aside from that, man, like I almost want to poke at what we're doing, but we're not using any crazy fancy tools. We were using Launch Control. We skip trace through Direct Skip when we do. So it just we we don't have anything revolutionary on the tech side. We're just I'll tell you, we're just heavy hitters when it comes to follow up, and that's been our bread and butter: is send out the marketing, do the follow up, get them on the phone, make the offer, cash out. <laughs> nice. I want to ask you about Texas. Okay, I've, I've tried Texas, had a hard time because I couldn't get comps. Um, now you can get comps from priced, but, um, kinda, you know, what are you doing? How are you getting comps in Texas? Do you have a realtor that you're helping with working with there? In this business, I just feel like you make up numbers. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like it doesn't. It it? feels like it sometimes is true. We, um, so what we'll do, and it's, it's really not anything super special. We'll use, you know, Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, all the MLS sites, and then land.com property control center. Property Control Center, you can see sold comps, which is nice. I'm typically only going to trust comps when they come from brokers. I, land investors, I just feel like sometimes try to throw off land investors. I just don't trust it. So, <laughs> And I, I say that as a land investor that sometimes throws off other land investors. So maybe that's why. But generally, I feel like brokers are reporting the correct price that they sold stuff for. So you can see stuff in Property Control Center. But on Zillow, what you can see is the original list price 
how quickly something went pending, what price it went pending at. And so we typically will look at like and kind properties, see what price they went pending at, and then knock off 10%. And that's kind of our, our ballpark. Um, and then all fair. properties for sale. And if they're getting a ton of you know clicks, likes, saves in the first 30 days, great. And then if I see stuff and I'm like, oh, everything's 8,000 an acre. And then I see a bunch of properties that you know are listed at 7,000 an acre that haven't moved. I'm like, well, I did something wrong here, right? So it's just a little bit more elbow grease and looking at both for sale, sold, looking at what price things went pending for, and then having to guesstimate. Truthfully, Every time we get a property under contract, we'll reach out to a broker and, and get an opinion of value. And typically, it's going to be the broker we're going to do business with. And so we'll get a second value, but we don't do that until after we've gotten a contract signed. So we will do a preliminary comp um, in-house based on that kind of model that I just laid out. You know, I was going to ask you about that. And, and, and by the way, when I when I do go to Zillow, can I show you something else too? Because I'm curious about how this works here. Um, let me go. Sure. Green share two people. Here we go. So if I go to Zillow, and I just type in Florida. Florida, Texas. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Florida land sold, right? In the last, oops, 90 days, right? 14,273. Okay. If I go to Tennessee, 4,300. Okay. Uh, North Carolina, 7,200. Texas, which is supposed to be super big and competitive, only 4,051. Right? <laughs> There is a lot more than 4,000 lots in the last 90 days that have sold in Texas. I am sure. Uh, I personally have sold more than 4,000 lots in the last 90 days. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, like, I'm thinking, what's missing here? Like, yeah. they just don't have... Now, obviously, see all these blank dollar signs. Right. Right? But, uh, I don't know, just give me, give me one county in Texas that maybe you've done one or two deals in. Yeah. Um, we've got or some you stuff. you want to do deals in. Yeah, let's go with... Uh, How about Henderson? Henderson County, Texas. We actually just did a deal there. All right. A small deal. It only shows 121. Yeah. I, I, I think I there's a lot more than that in there, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, then if you... I, I'm not seeing any prices in here. Now, sometimes I'll go to Redfin. Let me go to Redfin. And let's look at Henderson County here. Henderson County, Texas. Did I spell it right? Yes. Henderson County, Texas. Yeah, Redfin's got like a weird syntax on their arguments. Sometimes I, I, I just like the stuff I see here on Redfin better. Lands. Okay, that's anything. Let's do home type, land. All right, this is much better, right? Because 157, about the same number we were seeing. Yep. Maybe a little bit more, right? Seems to me like Redfin tends to get more county data. I agree. Um, so... But we are seeing some, oh, there's a lot of unknowns. Dang it. It's a non-disclosure. I know. Yeah, you don't, really get, uh, you don't really get the data off the MLS sites. Sometimes you go to sale and tax history and see price change. Um, it was listed for that. Let me just click on another one. Um, this one, sale and tax history. Yeah. So you're just seeing, sometimes you see some of the, but okay. Somebody wants to do land in Texas. Yep. What are you What are you recommending? Man, I'd say pick a major city. You know, over a couple hundred thousand in population, and go sixty one hundred and eighty minutes outside of it and mail it because I know there's going to be demand. You know, you go ninety minutes outside of Fort Worth, and I promise you, people are buying property. One of the things I like to do is go to Land Watch and go to Texas states like Texas, right? And um, let's just look for land under 200 grand. Um, and you see these counties here. These are just the most popular counties. Doesn't mean that's the best counties, but Henderson County has a lot of listings, Johnson, El Paso, Smith, and things like that. Sometimes what I'll do 
in other states outside of Texas is I'll look at Redfin and Zillow and see of all of these top 10, 15 counties, which ones have the most sold in the last 90 days, right? Yep. But sometimes here in Landwatch or, uh, or Land.com, these websites, if you scroll all the way down, but I'll come on. There we go. You can mark off as sold. Now, these are just solds that were that were once advertised on Landwatch or Land.com and then marked as sold, right? Yep. So do you ever do anything like this to kind of see what what are some good counties maybe we can start looking at looking at the most popular counties i'm like uh i'm not that smart joe so i i'm really like a, hey if you just drive within two hours of a major metro you'll find buyers that's all i really care about <laughs> okay all right cool yeah, i'm just not as smart as you i'm sorry <laughs> i'm not saying i'm smart uh, i just want I'm, I'm trying to figure this out Keep it simple. So, like, Lamar, let's look at Lamar County. Have you ever done a deal in Lamar County, Texas? Uh, we've done some marketing there, I think, but I don't think I've bought and sold property there. Lamar, let's look in Redfin, Lamar County, Texas. So, if I zoom out here, it's kind of maybe an hour northeast of Dallas area, close to the uh, Oklahoma border. Redfin says there's been 52 vacant lots that have sold in the last 90 days. We don't know the pricing. Some of them we do. It's interesting. So look at this. It does give sold pricing on Redfin there. Interesting. Huh. Some counties have it. Redfin has it in some counties and some counties that don't. Yeah. I don't know if it's a county-wide thing. I do know sellers have, like, it's it's non-disclosure, but I do believe, like, sellers can say, sure, make it public data is my understanding. Um, I don't know if it's the seller or the buyer, I guess. But well, look at this. Redfin has sold prices. Oh, no, 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 look. It says last list price. Got it. But that's still good. Last Not bad. list price. Um, yeah. Nice, because then you—I like what you did there. You said you <clears throat> take ten percent off or something, right? Yep, exactly. Ah, maybe that's that, the trick. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd look at that and look at the dates and be like, "Well, moved in a month probably means pretty accurately priced." You know, there's there's good demand if something moved in thirty days. Uh, probably means you priced it a little too cheap, in my opinion. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it was a small infill lot, though. I think so. Maybe that's pretty accurate. Okay, so um, have you ever looked at Privy? Have you heard of Privy? I've heard they have really good MLS data. Yeah, somebody just mentioned them to me recently, but I've not looked into it. I think it's a pretty cheap subscription though. It's like a hundred bucks a month or hundred fifty bucks a month or something, and you're able to see some some MLS data. Um, okay. Yeah, it's not really been a concern of ours. I mean, yeah, again, I just I know there's demand in in certain pockets in all the major Texas cities, and uh, we just get close enough to make an offer, and we'll get it under contract, and then we'll go double check with either a broker or some other way and get the deal done. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't rethink it a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And and you're, you're relying heavily on realtors. I just kind of started doing that six, eight months ago. Nice. Um, it's just so much easier, isn't it? Right. You don't have to worry about uh, And some people ask, I get this all the time. I'm curious to what you say is, well, how can the realtor sell it for you when you don't own it yet? That's, that's illegal, immoral, and fattening. You, sh you shouldn't be able to do that. I disagree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in our attorney and fact documents, we have explicit permission that we not only have the right to assign and market the property, but that we also can accept and negotiate offers on behalf of the seller and explicitly stated leverage the multiple listing service to do so. So, like, it, it doesn't get more clear than that, you know? And it's like, hey, man, like, I'm going to market the property. But listen, it doesn't change anything. You're going to get a check in 180 days. Title company is going to ask if you want to wire or check. That's that's usually our verbiage is you want to wire or check. <laughs> well, that, and that's that's cool too because a lot of these states that do have Ill, wholesaling is illegal laws. Really, they just want you to use a realtor. That's it. Really, that comes down to that, right? All right. And you could argue until you're blue in the face. I think the National Association of Realtors is a cartel. They have monopoly power, 
and things are changing and, and that's a whole nother discussion. So that's good. I think for the industry, right? Yeah. 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 There was a recently, those of you that don't know, there was a recent lawsuit that was just not settled, but like went against the National Association of Realtors. There's like $1.8 billion fine. The judge changed it to $5.4 billion fine. And um, there's another lawsuit that's even bigger in Illinois that's going to be happening in about a year where they're asking for like $20 billion. And Jeez. they're suing, instead of just, I think in this lawsuit in Kansas City, they were suing three or four brokerages. In Illinois, they're suing like 20 of the biggest brokerages in the United States. Wow. It does not look good for, for the realtor industry. I think it'll adjust, it'll change, it'll find a way to figure it out. And those that can adapt and can know where the cheese is moving to will figure it out. And in fact, I'm predicting that the realtors that are smart enough to see where the cheese is moving to, these next few years will be the, some of the biggest years for the people willing to see, will be some of your biggest, most profitable years for the realtors that know how to adjust and change for the changes that are coming. You know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. Um, okay, so you're, you're using realtors more. I wanted to ask you then, oh, what was it? So determining your price for properties. I see a lot of people tripping up on this, right? Like, I don't know what to sell it for. It's I'm getting comps all over the board. It's too confusing. It's overwhelming. What do you teach people at Learn.Land? Like how to just keep it simple and how do, how do you price land there? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's a kind of two, I guess if we're, if we're explicitly talking sales, you know, what I'm going to say is, well, you know, what did you comp it at? Right. Generally, I'm going to comp and tell them about 70% accurate. Right. You know, I always say like, listen, guys, to make your offer on the acquisition side, when you're comping a property and you say, well, it's worth 85, 90, and you kind of cock your head and you're like, it's in that ballpark. I'm like, great, go make an offer at 42 and a half. Right. As a conservative offer right there. And then I'd go price it at 90. Right. Now, if I think it could be worth a little more, maybe I'll start it a little more and then drop every 30 days. Right. But um, generally, man, it's like, hey, what'd you get for your ballpark number? Do you think you could go a little bit more aggressive? If you do, try it out. If it doesn't work well, drop the price. It's as simple as that. And so you make an offer at about fifty percent of what your ballpark is. Yeah, if I'm buying, we're we're gonna start at around forty two and a half, and we'll go up to fifty. It's it's not supposed to be that easy. I thought it was supposed to be harder than that. Man, those are just garbage stories people tell themselves. This is a very simple business. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. It really is. It's not that complicated. It's really hard. Man, okay, you, you've been real gracious with your time, Ajay. Um, talk about Learn.Land. You're working with Clint uh, in this program. You guys are doing a lot of deals with students, which is cool. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Specifically, we launched a uh, subdivide program earlier this year where we've been able to partner with some students on deals, which has been really cool. You know, I think a lot of people get scared when it comes to cutting up dirt, and it's pretty simple, relatively. Like, you get a survey, and you record some lines, and you cut up some dirt. Aside from that, maybe you put in some driveways, a well, a culvert, and it all sounds really scary because normally we're just used to pushing paper. But, you know, it's you call a couple contractors and get her done, right? <laughs> now, there's pitfalls to all of that stuff, so you want to work with people that understand it. But, you know, we do coaching in, in the subdivision arena and have done deals on that spectrum. Um, aside from that, man, like where I focus a lot of my time is just scaling up a lot of investors. So, you know, my, my favorite folks to work with are those that are kind of stuck in like a 200 to 400 grand a year gross profit sort of business. And I'm like, dude, I could double your business in 60 to 90 days if you let me get in there. You know, and so um, it's it, and it's all, it's all the fundamentals, right? More marketing, more sales, more hiring, right? Because you can you can't really scale your time. Um, you can't scale leverage, though. 
and just building the business you want. Okay, you don't want to do more deals. You either have to do bigger deals or you have to do you know some some different types of deals, some subdivides, that sort of thing. But uh, I really enjoy just helping people scale through the fundamentals of business. That's kind of like my favorite thing to do. And and my time is working with existing operators that have been around for a bit. I find that most solopreneurs kind of tap out at like that that like 250 gross profit range is where I see a lot of people get stuck as a solopreneur. And so, um, you know, standard deviation of 20% give or take, right? But that, that's kind of what we have going on over there, helping people scale, helping people cut up dirt and having a lot of fun doing it. Nice. Learn.land and you're working with Clint Turner. Does he, does he just spend his entire time driving around in his car with a cameraman just videoing him all the time? Is that all he does anymore? Because that's all I... It's, it seems, seems like he's, it's funny. I, and I'm a little jealous. I wish I could do more of that. Yeah. The Clint is brilliant when it comes to just engineering a business. But, you know, I really asked that question, what business do you want to build? He's done a phenomenal job of building businesses in a way that really serve him in his life. Um, I think he's one of the smartest, just intellectual, like he's brilliant. You know what I mean? Just hands down brilliant. And so it's it's been really fun getting to work with him and, and kind of see how he operates and how he looks at things. Nice. Good. Awesome. Learn.land. How can people get a hold of you? Do you have a um, social media? Are you on the yes. TikTok, tick faces or whatever? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's in, at investing with Ajay. Um, so just investing with Ajay. Let me, uh, I'm going to do that real quick here. Hang on. At investing with A-J-A-Y, right? Sir, pretty active on Instagram. So if you hit me in the DMs, I'll probably respond. I think it, there that it is. Right there. That's me. At Investing with A-J-A-Y. Yes, sir. IG, Instagram. Hit me up on IG. If you don't have an IG, you can just email me at ajay at learn.land. Nice. Ajay, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate you, man. It was good to meet you finally. And um, sorry for pushing all those podcasts back a few months ago. It's a little bit out of my control. Yeah, man. Next time you have heart surgery, will you give me some notice, man? No, I'm, I'm teasing. I will. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll really ask you. I'll have my people call your people and, and you know, see if... That sounds like reschedule it. Uh, but hey, I'm, I'm really glad to see you're you're happy and smiling and energetic and everything now, man. This is a pleasure, Joe. Super, yeah, super thanks, happy. Appreciate you having me on. Say hi to Clint for me too, would you? Will do, sir. Thank you for All the right. time. See you later. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a good one. <laughs>